my remarks on this passage, let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come now and sit under the teaching and ministry of your word. I pray, Father, that you would enable me to be diligent and faithful, that my words would be true and consistent with yours. Father, I pray that you would enable all of us to have open hearts. God, the Holy Spirit, apply this word to our hearts, we pray, and encourage us today and conform us more to the life of Christ. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So these three verses reveal something about Paul's life, about his race. I, I see four dynamics of running the Christian race of life here in this passage. First of all, Paul talks about his state. We see his tenacity. We see something about his faith and work. And we also understand Paul's goal. So we'll look at those four things. And then I want to end with a question. So what difference does this make in our lives today? So we begin with looking at Paul's state, the state of his life as a Christian. We see this in verse 12. And his life is one of being incomplete. He admits that he had, he's not already obtained something. And then he admits that he is not already perfect. Well, what had Paul not obtained? Um, to what does the this in verse 12 refer? And what in Paul's life is imperfect? And I suggest there are two ways to understand verse 12, to understand Paul's life as he is running the race of being incomplete. First, Paul's life was incomplete and imperfect because he had not obtained the prize. He was running toward the goal. He was running toward the finish line. He had yet not reached that line and crossed over. He had not been brought to it. His life had not been brought to its full completion. And the word picture here that Paul creates for us is a runner in a race progressing towards the finish line. Now, if you have ever run in a race or been in any kind of a race, you know that the prize of winning is not given before you cross the finish line. You have to cross the finish line. You have to complete the race. And so Paul is basically saying here that he has not arrived at the finish line yet. Paul's race began on that Damascus road, Acts chapter 9. And from that point forward, the apostle Paul is getting closer to the finish line. He is growing in Christ. He is progressing. And one day he will cross that finish line and he will receive the prize. But that day is still in the future for Paul as he wrote to the Philippians. So that's one way to understand Paul's life and Paul's race being incomplete. The second way to understand Paul's journey being incomplete is that he was incomplete. Not just his race, not just the manner of his life, but he personally was incomplete and imperfect. I think that this primarily refers to what I just said, that Paul had not yet 
made it to heaven, he was still journeying in that direction. But I think in a secondary sense, Paul is referring to the fact that he continues to struggle with sin as he is racing towards the goal. One of the Reformation uh, slogans that Martin Luther is most known for was simultaneously just and sinner. And what Luther meant by that is that a true Christian is accepted before God as justified, as righteous, because that individual is positionally righteous by Christ's perfect righteousness being imputed to him or her. So a true Christian is just before God because of Christ's imputed righteousness, while at the same time, simultaneously, that true Christian is a sinner struggling with sin. This is a doctrine that we know of justification by faith and certainly the dynamics of sanctification play into this as well. And Paul has already talked about this just previously in verse 9 of Philippians 3, the topic of our, the last sermon that I did on this, where he writes, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, verse 9, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So Paul is not complete. He is imperfect. Though he's accepted as just in Christ in heaven. In 1989, just before coming to Little Rock, I served on a mission team to Jamaica. And we worked with a church and a pastor. And this pastor, this Jamaican pastor, is a wonderful man. But he bought into the holiness doctrine of entire sanctification, which basically means that a Christian can reach a point while still living on this earth of no longer sinning. He viewed his state quite contrary to how Paul viewed his state. This Jamaican pastor believed he had arrived. Now think about this. This Jamaican pastor and anyone who has the same theological perspective, what they're saying is this. I have received the prize before crossing the finish line. I have come to a perfect knowledge of Christ before crossing the finish line. I have perfectly gained Christ before crossing the finish line. I have reached a state, unlike Paul, where I no longer struggle with sin. It should go without saying, if you've been around covenant very long, that, that this doctrinal idea is unbiblical and incredibly dangerous. Because we are simultaneously just and sinner every minute of every day that we breathe and live on this earth. Paul's view of the state of his life is the correct one. He viewed himself as one who had not arrived. The prize of knowing and gaining Christ was yet in the future. Fully knowing and gaining Christ was yet in the future. 
His race was incomplete and imperfect, and he was incomplete and imperfect, but he ran at the same time being just and sinner, and he ran not only with confidence that he had a right standing before God, while at the same time struggling with sin, and so his race, his running was imperfect, he not only had confidence in God, but he had tenacity to run for the finish line. Paul's life was incomplete and imperfect. He was incomplete and imperfect. But in verse 12, he says this, an amazing description of tenacity. I press on. Then in verse 13, but the one thing I do straining forward. Do you hear Paul there? Determine, tenacity. To press on means to strive after or to pursue something, to strain forward. It's a really interesting phrase in the Greek, but it actually means to stretch. And the idea here is that one exerts maximum effort to stretch to the fullest extent and I can just picture the, the Apostle Paul, you know how runners do when they cross the finish line and they just stick that, that breast out to break the tape? That Paul just stretching, I mean, every fiber of his being, just every bit of effort, just stretching to reach that finish line. Listen, he had tenacity to run the race of the Christian life. An acquaintance of mine runs ultra marathon. Now, an ultramarathon can be any, any distance over 26.3 or whatever the standard, 26.3, that, that amazes me. But an ultramarathon, this, this friend of mine, 100 miles run, 100 miles. That is crazy tenacity. But people do it. This friend, this acquaintance of mine does it. And just think of all the determination that must be exerted to make it to the finish line, to keep running. And Paul's race and ours is the ultimate ultra marathon. Not 100 miles, not even 150 miles, but the span of a lifetime. We are called to run from the moment we're united to Christ Jesus. We are called to be tenacious from the moment Jesus redeems us until we cross the finish line in heaven. We are called to press on and to strain forward. Tenacity in living to win. That's what Paul shows us here in this passage. We see uh, tenacity in this forward momentum of Paul. Present circumstances, nor past successes, or even past failures distract him from this forward momentum. I remember years ago, I attended a wedding. One of the fathers spoke to the couple, and the father said this to the couple. This is his advice, and I thought it was great advice. He said this to his son and his new uh, daughter-in-law, keep falling forward. <laughs> Doesn't that ring in your, if you're married, doesn't that ring true? In other words, we're imperfect, we're incomplete, we're going to struggle, 
but we need, with tenacity, we need to keep falling. Even if we trip and stumble, we need to keep falling forward, keep striving for the goal. Like the visitors in Jurassic Park, there, there are many difficulties that we face today that can hinder us from that forward momentum of pressing on and striving forward. We can be halted in our race, maybe even turn around for a time because of fear and doubt and anger, just to name a few. And even when life becomes easy and we're going, hey man, this running Christian life is not that big of a deal, that's just as dangerous. We can be challenged to be complacent, sloppy with how we run the Christian life. Past successes and sins can hinder us from this forward momentum. Look at verse 13. Paul said, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Now listen, Paul is not saying that we should totally ignore our past. Quite the contrary, past failures is one of the best teachers we have. So he's not saying that, but what Paul is saying is that there are successes and that there are failures in our past that if we dwell on them, if we keep living in them, so to speak, that they can hinder us. They can be like an anchor holding us back from this forward momentum in the race of the Christian life. Paul, look at Paul's successes in the past. Look at verses 4 through 7 of chapter uh, 3 here in Philippians. That He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. I mean, he was like a poster child for, for being Jewish and being a Pharisee. And, I, and you, we know that as he wrote the Philippians, that in part, Paul was addressing the problem of the Judaizers, who are very much like the Pharisees, who believed they could be righteous before God based on their own human effort. And so think about Paul's success as a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, and how he could very easily begin thinking like that old way and be aligned with the Judaizers. And certainly Paul had plenty in his past with regards to offending Christ and sin that would be plenty to distract him from this forward momentum. And so Paul encourages us not to forget the past in terms of learning from the past, but to forget the past in terms of it being an anchor in our lives, distracting us from the finish line Paul was tenacious in pressing on and straining forward. He did not allow anything, present or past, to hinder him as he ran for the goal of fully knowing and gaining Christ at the finish line. So Paul ran the race, though there was incompleteness and imperfection there. He ran the race with tenacity. And he ran the race in faith while at the same time producing good works. Earlier, Paul wrote about the relationship between faith and works in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, where he says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do work for his good pleasure. And we understand Paul here in chapter <clears throat> 2 referring this, this idea of working out our own salvation through obedience and the good works that God has ordained for us as being a response to what God has already done in us, that his enabling grace has changed us 
and given us everything we need to obey and to walk in holiness before him. God enables us to obey. He enables us to do those good works. So in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, yeah, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's merely a response to the real work that's already taking place, God working in you. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And Paul simply restates this truth in verses 12 and 13 of Philippians chapter 3. I press on, he says, to make it my own. So Paul here shows his responsibility to work hard, to live holy, to seek and strive for the prize. But the reason he's able to do that is because Jesus made me his own. The end of verse 12. Jesus made me his own. In other words, Paul is saying the same thing here as he did in chapter 2 and verse 13. That we're to work out our salvation, but it's really God's work in us to willing to do for his good pleasure. Christ Jesus made me his own. I've been created in Christ, the new creation, Philippians 2.10. I am God's workmanship for doing good works. We see here Paul saying that I press on, I strain forward in the race of the Christian life as a response to the powerful work of God through Christ Jesus in me. We are in his grip every step of the way and he empowers us to run. We might feel like we're running through Jurassic Park at times in our life. We may, we may be tempted to return to our old thinking about what life is like. We, we may struggle with past uh, failures, but what Paul is saying here is that we need to remember that we are in the grip of Christ and nothing will prevent us from crossing that finish line and receiving the prize. Paul says in verse 13 that he has not made it he, his own in that he has not arrived at the finish line, but one thing he does to forget the past and strain forward believing in Jesus, faith and works to what lies ahead. So we've seen Paul as he just talks about these dynamics of, of his life, that, that his, his race, his running, his living the Christian life is incomplete and imperfect. And yet, he presses on and strains forward with great tenacity to reach that goal. But he does so in faith, responding to the work of God in his life through Christ Jesus. And all of this Paul says, is to reach that goal, to reach that finish line. And the goal is our last point. What, what lay ahead of Paul as we read in verse 13? It was the finish line. It was the completion. In verse 14, the goal Paul describes in this way, it is the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. In verse 10 of Philippians 3, the goal is described in this way, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. In verse 8 of Philippians chapter 3, the goal it sounds like this, indeed I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, that I may gain Christ. 
way back in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 23, the goal is reflected in these words. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Even further back in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, the goal sounds like this. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The goal is, is understood in terms of completion, full restoration of God's people and the joys of the world to come, as Jerry read from this prophecy in Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to gladness. That, that is a reflection of what heaven is going to be like. And that's the goal. That's the finish line. I, I suggest we understand the goal simply as this. Knowing and gaining Christ in full. We know Christ in part and we've gained Christ in part as we progress along this race course of the Christian life. But one day there will be completion, there will be fullness, and that is the day to which should be our focus. What difference, what difference does all of this make in our lives today? What, what difference does it make in our lives today to know
us. I thank you that you have promised to never leave us nor forsake us. I thank you that you have saved us, you've called us. The echo is louder now than it was when we first believed that the grip of Christ has encompassed us and that grip feels, we feel more pressure from it every step of the way towards heaven. We thank you, Father, that you are faithful, that you're loving, and that no fiery trial will undo us in the end, that you will bring us safely home, that we'll cross the finish line, we'll break the tape, we'll be awarded the prize. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.